Thanks, Ian. Hallelujah. Good morning, all. There's a couple of sheets on your seat there which I'll draw your attention to before we start. There's one preparing the way update, which is a list of Jeanette and I's engagements for the next month. I messed it up, I'm afraid. I, I got the dates wrong. It's not supposed to say on, under Romania. That's supposed to be the 25th of October. And after that, I, th I think it's okay. These are just various churches around Europe and, and beyond that we're working with in different ways. Some of them will be doing church planting training. Others, it's preparing the way stuff, Life After Love, doing two conferences of that, one in Armenia and one in Romania this year. Please keep it in prayer. They're very diverse situations. And as you've probably seen on the news, the further east you go in Europe, things are getting very hot at the moment, very problematic. Turn, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you just open it at verse 1. Many opportunities are available to you as a church, to you as an individual, simply because of the church you're in. VFC have opportunities all over the world, 95 countries, something like that. And those opportunities are diverse in worship, in, in Sunday school, in teaching, in training, in pastoring, in you name it, social services, medical, right? In all departments. So we really are blessed to be part of a network, a global network that can actually connect us in whatever way really God may lead us. And, and often for pastors like, like Tom here, who opens doors wide to congregations like you, it can be very frustrating because for a multitude of reasons, Christians don't respond. And it, it, it's heartbreaking. It, it really is. I mean, for you, okay? People don't respond. Many people get stalled, especially if you've been in church a long time. I know a lot of you. Some of you have been in church for 10 years, 20 years, and you know things change. You know that? Things change. And you kind of have to deliberately shake yourself up because time will take its toll on you. And the truth is, the reality is, unfortunately, in, in say after 10, 15 years, well, after two years, but 10, 15 years, you can often see people no longer growing, no longer moving on, no longer maybe seizing the opportunities. Now, that doesn't really affect the church, to be honest, because God has got 7,000 others that have not yet bowed the bail, if you know what I mean. There's plenty of people out there, and God will still get His work done. So it's not so much a church problem. It's your problem. Not my problem. The churches will be fine, believe me. God's not dependent upon you. So I'm not coming from that perspective, okay? I, I, I'm trying to help you. And the pain inside me is not because we won't get our task done. Believe me, we will. He will. The pain inside me is for you because you're a sheep and we are shepherds and you don't understand how frustrating that feels. Like a mother or father whose child doesn't do anything. Terrible, terrible, heartbreaking. And it's not anger so much you feel, it's frustration that your child 
And you as children of God would achieve and be everything that God is destined for you to be. Amen. And we can do this, folks. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of the reasons why I might stop. Some of the, you know, and there are a multitude of reasons. We began by looking at scars. Remember? Four weeks ago, something like that. If we have scars that we have received through life and we don't deal with them, they can come back and bite you. Last Sunday night, Everson brought us stones. A very good point. Things in our lives that block the light of Jesus entering in. Things that Jesus may have to speak to and prophesy to, like with Lazarus. And today I want to bring another potential hindrance and that is the belief systems that we all have. Every person in this room has a belief system. I, I know mine. I was a Roman Catholic. I came from a traditional family. I came from a big family. And I thank God I took a very long time, many years ago, to analyze my own mind, not my spirit, my mind and the type of person I was, and the way I was raised, and methodically began to break down some of the things. For example, I had a chronic poverty mentality, remember? Terrible, terrible. That's all in my head, that is. That's because of my religious background. And I had to unpack that thinking and get it out of my way. Now, listen, folks. If, if your discipler, your cell leader, your pastor asks you, say you're not growing as fast as you should, and the pastor says, tell me why you're not growing. The type of answers we get are, <laughs> because she said this, because he did that, because he's like this and she's like that and they did this and this is what happened and that's what's happening and all external things. And we need to be careful about convincing ourselves that life or other people really have that much impact on us because the Bible doesn't take it from that perspective. Remember, remember what the word perished means. What does the word perish mean? Let me give you a little quiz. I told you. A shoe that doesn't function. Remember, take, take a shoe. Take a shoe off. Give me your shoe. <laughs> Not your shoe. Look at your shoe. Stay to your shoe. Thank you, Tom. Okay, can you open the windows? <laughs> Take a look at this. Oh, there's a big hole in the foot. There's a big hole. Okay. And it's punctured on this. It's not really. Just pretend. There's holes all over the, the foot. It's going to leak in. There's holes on the side. It's cracked. Is it a shoe? But it's got big holes in it. But it's got holes in it. You can't use it. Not usable. Is it a shoe? Who thinks it's a shoe when it can't be used as a shoe? Who's too frightened to put the hand up? It is still a shoe. There's a word for it. What's the word? Perished. The word for something that has the form, but not the function. The word is perished. Where does Scripture use that word? when it talks about your knowledge. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> For lack of knowledge, God says you perish. Now, you will say to me, I don't do this, I don't do that because of him, because of her, because of this, because of the other. But God doesn't say that. 
And you need to take him at his word and let him correct you. God says to you, and God says to me, Michael, it's because of your knowledge base. That's, listen folks, I got more reason to not be standing here than you've got to be sitting there. Okay? After many years in ministry and a lot of hurts and a lot of pains, I could easily say, I'm not going to do this anymore because of them. I'm not going to do this anymore because of him, because of this, because of that. You get it. You understand. Easily say that. Why don't I do that? Because of what I know. Because the knowledge inside my head, my understanding, makes me respond differently, makes me act differently. Why did I leave my career? I had a jolly good career and very well paid too. Better than I am now. <laughs> Why did I leave? Because of something I know. Because of something I see. And believe me, you are not an exception to this rule. Do you know what Scripture says? As you believe, so shall you. And that's who you are. You're the product of your belief system, whether you like it or not. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And we keep on pointing to other people, other things as reasons or excuses for the reason I haven't become this, that, or the other. And I'm just saying, folks, God brings it right back down to really our perception, our worldview. And that comes from a very, should come from a strong foundation of knowledge of God's will and God's word. Very simple. Now, we could spend a long time on this subject. I don't want to go back over the mind again, because we did that. We, we, you know, we, we've, we've been through this. However, I do want to deal with it in a broad sense. And I want to give a few examples this morning. Four examples. Five four examples, if you like, of the types of mindsets that people can have. And maybe some of you have. If, you, if the cap doesn't fit, don't wear it. No problem. I'm just giving you an idea of the types of mindsets that stop people growing, stop people moving forward or changing, particularly in later life. Point number one, for example, it is selfish to have my needs met, my own needs. That's a selfish thing. And many Christians, again, if you come from a religious background, that can be a perspective that some people have. Well, if you have that perspective, you're not going to be able to continue in ministry because you need to have your own needs met. Look up, everybody. I've got no problem with you going the extra mile. I've got a big problem with people who always have to go the extra mile because I question the motivation. Some people always have to do this, be that, or whatever. It just makes me think, yeah, take a day off there at all, and take a rest there. It is not wrong to have my needs met or your needs met. And if you don't get that as a mindset, if you come into the Christian life with the mentality that it is, you're going to end up being burnt out. No problem going the extra mile but not to always go the extra mile. There's some very famous people with this problem. The Apostle Peter. I'll serve you, Lord. I'll go to the cross even when they all desert you. I will not. And then Jesus says, well, let me wash your feet. No! Didn't want to have his own needs met. This problem is in the best of our people, and it's in the worst of our people. It's in both. This is where you see it. The best of your people 
very often they can get burnt out because of this issue. They fail to see that they need their own needs met. When I first came to this church, we have many people from Malaysia, from Singapore, where there's a lot of in-depth, lifelong training and giving. But I, I, I was pleased this time when I was back there because the first time I went last year, I ministered in the Singapore church on this point, on being able to receive. You see, I, listen, please. I thank God for the giving of many of the Asian brothers and sisters who have come in here because it's fantastic. Amen. Absolutely fantastic. But I got a bit of a problem whenever they can't receive. And I've found that so commonly. So commonly. But like Peter, fantastic givers. But I began to notice over the years this problem and that. Well, why don't you? And I found a, a reticence, a reluctance. Now, we'll deal with sacrifice. We deal with sacrifice plenty of times. But I remember I, I taught on this subject for a few times here in this church years ago. I said, look, guys, I love your giving, but I don't want you to get religious about it. I love you go the extra mile, but you don't always, if you understand me, always, because then I question your motive. And it kind of makes me wonder if you're a bit like Peter who cannot receive anything ever, always has to be doing, you know, the, not the right thing, but you know what I mean, always has to be going the extra mile. And after I taught that, it was about a month before Christmas, and Leanne came in. It was a Friday night, and she came into the church, and over this shoulder she had a Fraser's bag, Dorothy Perkins. Over this shoulder she had John Lewis, and I don't know who else, Prada. And I, I said, hello, Leanne. And she said, hello. Been shopping at all, have you? And she said, clonk. She said, I got my Christmas bonus. <laughs> and do you know what? I, I, I tell you that because of this. We had just covered this. And I said, particularly to the biggest givers, receive. Learn to receive. When, when she went into the church, I've never told her this, but I was actually sitting where I sit up on the kitchen counter, sorry, Gordon, where I, I was up there. Do you know in my spirit? I felt really good. I felt really, really good. And I felt like Jesus was saying, there, I was able to wash your feet. Simple as that. I just wanted to bless you. Have you got a problem with that? And the truth is, many people do have a problem with that. This is a great church, very sacrificial, and I commend you for it, and God commends us for it. No problem. I'm dealing with a different point here. As well as being sacrificial, there's a problem with those who can only be like Peter and can never receive. And Peter needed to get another perspective on his belief system on his mindset. And what Jesus was saying, listen carefully, what Jesus was saying to Peter is, Peter, you say you want to follow me for the long haul? You stay, you know, you want to still be in the game in 10 years time? Well, let me tell you something, Peter, you've got a bit of a problem with your perspective because you're never going to finish the race with that mindset. You need to be able to receive as well as give. Can you say amen? amen. It's very important.
particularly for churches like us. There's a difference between selfishness and stewardship, okay? I'm a steward of my money. I'm a steward of my time, and that's good. I must let God govern that. But it's very different to be selfish about those things. You need to create in your own mind a healthy, spiritual, godly, good, sanctified separation right there and learn to be happy in that place. You've got needs whether you like it or not. We all do. And you're going to have to come to the point, all of us are, where we acknowledge that. And it is okay for you whenever we say, does anybody need prayer? Come forward. Do you know this, folks? Some of you will never leave your seat. Never. Never leave your seat. Even though you have needs that you want people to pray for, this is what I'm getting at. It doesn't achieve the goal in the end, and that's what Jesus wanted to do to Peter. God, here's, here's a question for you. Who left those needs in you? God. God made you as a needy creature. And he left those needs so that they would drive you, if you like, to him constantly so that he would be your source. So, in, in fact, on the other side of your sheets, there's an actual checklist here. This is quite a different topic, but I just wanted to show it to you this morning to... To, to analyze our own needs. This is a great leadership development assessment chart that we've used over the years. And you just ask any person, ask anyone here, ask yourself to, to give yourself a, a score. Number one, the person has influence. Do you have influence in the church? Score yourself from naught to four. Not very little, four quite a lot. And you just work your way down the list, okay? Now, please look up. I got two of my worst members, okay, in Ireland, and I sat them down. Now, I got a big shot. I sat them down, and I gave them this as a very polite way of beginning to introduce some of the problems that I saw within them to remove the, to reveal to them their needs. So I sat them down, and I said, look, guys, this is what I want you to do. Give yourself a score, and I will score myself. So what, you see, see the scores at the bottom? I scored myself. I scored myself honestly. I didn't, you know, play games with it. I gave myself a... Now, what score do you think I got? <laughs> you better say hi. <laughs> I was struggling to get past 60. I was struggling. To, I think I was just, just over 60. Okay. And that was with leading at that time several churches. But I was just being honest with myself. But I didn't tell them my score. So we all came back with our notes. Do you know what those guys scored themselves? <laughs> they were up in the 90s. Hey, what planet are you on? Where do you live? Come on. Look at me. Belief system. How are you going to grow like that? Point number one, I've got to accept that I have needs, Right? Point number two, I've got to let Jesus meet them. You're never going to let Jesus in if you don't think you need him, right? So those guys needed to realize that they actually had needs. They had needs, and it's a revelation for some, and it certainly was for them and for me. And then we're more open. See, Leanne's dealing with prayer tonight. Why do people not pray? 
because they don't think they need to. Don't think they need to. But you do need to. And that's like a revelation. It's a change of your mindset. Amen. So you see things differently and you turn passionately to pray because you understand that you're a needy creature. And I don't mean that negatively. So that's a one mindset, point one. Number two, another typical mindset that can see people getting stuck in their Christian life, and this is very common. When people start saying, well, I just need to give it to the Lord. <laughs> have you heard that? Right? We used to have this gang of people used to smoke outside our church in Ireland. Not so much of a problem here, but it was a big problem there. We had loads of them, and the meeting would end, and it was like smoke signals you could see rising above the building. All these guys standing there, you know. And you'd walk through the crowd, and they'd feel convicted, you know. The meeting would over. Everybody's walking through the smokers, you know. And they're standing there, and they'd see you coming. Ah, good morning, Pastor Michael. How are you doing? You know? And you'd stop and look at them. Do you know what they'd say? I need to give this to the Lord. And I used to say, God doesn't smoke. No, I need, I need, to, I need to give it to the Lord. You know? It's a religious answer. It's a mindset. And that mindset will keep, as long as that person is carrying on that addiction and saying it's God's problem, who's got the problem? The person who's smoking. Everybody look up. Very important. We've done it many times, but it's critical. There's a list of things that God does, and there's a list of things that He will never do. Only you can do. Right? God does, you do. Who was it led prayer? They made a mistake a couple of weeks. Ben, I think it was. Ben had leading Friday prayer a couple of weeks ago, and I sat there, and I was like, God, help us. How many times? Things are spiritually perceived, folks. Not academically. Many of you are very smart. Doesn't count for that. Spiritually perceived. Ben had up on the screen, let's pray for God to renew our minds. You know, Ben, how many times we told you? Things God does and things only you will ever do. God will not renew your mind for you. Whose job is that? That's your job and your job alone. Please, listen to me. Look, you've got a spirit. That's God's part. God gives you a spirit, puts his spirit in you, but your part is the mind. Your part is, is pulling down the belief systems in whatever form they come, and we're naming a few of them this morning. That's your part. And as long as I'm saying, well, I just need to give it to the Lord, I'm going to get stuck. Now, of course we give things to the Lord. I'm not saying don't give things to the Lord. There, there, there's a balance here. This is a very good book. Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. It deals with both sheets, if you like. It talks about God's part in evangelism, but also man's responsibility. Evangelism and the sovereignty of God. Dealing with that very point. Of course we give things to God, but I have my own responsibilities within the realm of my Christian walk. And if I have a, everybody listening, if I have a mindset that says this is God's problem, then believe me, God doesn't have the problem. <laughs> You're the one with the problem. Amen. Okay? So the there's a responsibility taking that has to happen. Under each of the points, I've written a very small bracket just saying the result. The result 
for not having your own needs met is you're going to pull out a ministry. You're going to stop doing what you do because you'll burn out. Under point two, the result is you're going to go round in circles of addiction all of your merry Christian life and still be saying, I just got to give it to God. Well, that's not, it's, it's not that simplistic. Number three, I've just got to leave the past behind. That's what I've got to do. I've had a few rebukes on this one over the years. You know, people come up to you at the end of the meeting when you tell them, I want, you, I want to take you into your past. I want to bring you back over the years. And people get very upset. Pastor, I'm not going back to my past. I've left it. You need to read Philippians. The Apostle Paul says, leave the past behind. What are you telling me to do? And I said, well, you need to never take a scripture out of its context because you're going to end up in trouble. And in the book of Philippians, when Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, what's he talking about? That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. He is talking about his former life. Read the chapters. He's talking about his former life when he sought righteousness by works. And he's looking back to what lay behind. And then he looks forward to a life with a righteousness imparted from another. And he looks back and looks forward and he says, do you know what? Forgetting a righteousness that was of my own works, I now press forward. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about a means onto being saved. What he's not talking about are the problems that lie in our past that we have not dealt with. Are you with me? So when, when anyone tries to take you back, and I know this to be 100% true, folks, because God has taken me back. Many times, God has arrested me and taken me back to deal with scars or issues without me knowing that, you know, this was a problem or that is a problem. If you have a mindset, everybody look up. If you have a mindset that you can breathe through life and everything's hunky-dory, it's, 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 it's going to be a problem. It's a belief system problem. A pastor hurt me more than anybody's ever hurt me. Many years ago, I was told, remember, I've told you this testimony. It's probably the, the most difficult thing I ever had to deal with in my ministry life because I was so mad. And even though I'm a very forgiving person, unforgiveness got a grip on me for the first time. A real grip. And I couldn't shake it. And I sought counsel. I went to friends who were pastors and I explained the situation. You know, the number of people who say, just put it behind you. Just, just, just keep on going. Sometimes your own better wisdom, right? Sometimes you know better. Sometimes someone's given you, and I sat with those guys and I thought, I'm sorry, I don't give tuppence for your advice on this one. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to linger in this place until I have solved this problem. How can I go forward in life when I've got unforgiveness towards someone? How can I minister? How can I do anything? This is ridiculous. What are you telling me to do? Just leave the past behind. No, I will not. I will not leave the past behind until it's healed, delivered, put right. And because of my commitment to that, remember the story. I sat in a meeting, but because of my commitment to dealing with the past properly, a word from the Lord as I sat in the meeting, when that same person was preaching one day and I was in a pastor's group and he happened to mention that he had financial needs and that, it just, boom, a light came on inside me. I'm going to bless him. That's what, do good to those who, 
abuse you. And I was like, I got it. That's what's holding me back. I had said the words. I had expressed my, my unforgiveness and tried to forgive. But God blessed me with the tools of forgiveness. You understand? But I, I, I like that mindset and I will treasure that mindset and I will keep it. If I need to go back over something, then I will do it. Point four, guilt and shame are good for me. More common, again, than we may believe or perceive, particularly for those, sorry for saying this, but not just Catholic backgrounds, but from any religious background. Um, you don't have to agree with me, <laughs> but I think, phew, I don't know, one in a thousand Christians understand their own conscience? One in 500? I don't know. Very few anyway. Very few Christians understand how to deal with their own conscience. Okay? And this guilt and shame thing, guilt being good for me, I'm afraid guilt is, is not good for you. Conviction's good for you. But guilt is very bad for you. And depending on your upbringing, your parents may have been the type who like to put guilt on you. Right? Very common as a means of controlling you or manipulation, and you then end up with that type of disposition or mentality, no good. You've got to come out of that. There are three types of conscience. Who can remember what they are? Seared. 1 Timothy talks about those with a seared conscience. 1 Corinthians talks about a weak conscience. Okay, seared conscience largely referring to the lost, but also some saved. The weak conscience largely referring to the saved. And then the mature conscience of 1 Corinthians 4 as well. Three types of conscience the Bible talks about. You cannot pursue the Christian life correctly or successfully, if I can use that term, without you understanding how to control your conscience. Okay? Two or three weeks ago, one of the members here, I won't say who, came up to me and talked about a young man who comes to this church sometimes. He was preaching on the street, and he said his preaching was so bad. I want to tell you about it. It was so bad, I feel I have to mention it to you. I said, okay, no problem, thank you. I go over the other building, and another person comes to me and says, Pastor, something happened yesterday. There was someone preaching in town, and the preaching was so bad. So wicked, guilt, shame are good for me. So bad, I think I need to tell you about it. So if one person had spoken, I probably wouldn't do anything. But because two people came to me, I know the young guy, and I wouldn't have dealt with it. I would have left it for many more years, four or five years, because he's too young. But in the Lord, I mean. I thought, okay, we'll deal with it. So got a hold of the guy, and I pulled him aside, because this is his problem. I pulled him aside. You've got to be careful because you can destroy people, but he needs it. I pulled him aside and I said, Come here. Do you want to know a secret? You know where your preaching comes from? Sin. The root of your preaching. Sin. That's where it comes from. You do not have the ability to deal with your own sin. You're weak. Your conscience is weak, brother. And when a person's conscience is weak and not mature, what happens is they're condemned in themselves. And then when they preach to others, what do they preach? Condemnation. And you're full of your own 
self-condemnation. And you have not yet learned to purge your conscience. And so you're not actually fit to minister. All I, as I looked in that man's eyes, all I can say to you is this. He was full of terror. <laughs> he goes, ah! He didn't get away. Get away from Because he was exposed, you see. Revealed. I, I had to show him a mirror of who he is. And do you know how I know that? Because that's me. And I had to, when I look at you, because I street preaching for years, and when I listen to you or look at you or I hear what you say, you remind me of me. But you know, when I preach, people don't get condemned because I've grown up. I used to have a seared conscience when sin meant nothing. And then as a young minister, you have a weak conscience, and that causes you actually to condemn everybody when you're speaking. But Paul talked about, in fact, let's look at it. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, just so you don't think I'm a heretic, you know. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul talks about his conscience, and this is him in later life when he's got a mature conscience. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4, read it with me. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Wow. Wow. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. And therein lies the rub. Therein lies the root, for example, of that young man's problem, an inability to deal with himself. Look at me. Every, for, for, for you to mature as a Christian, every person here has to do this, especially those in ministers, worship leaders, Chris, the others. You've got to learn to walk in a mature conscience. So let's say Chris gets up this morning and has a big argument with Eileen. Oh, you did? Okay, okay, sorry. I'll need you. <laughs> right? And he comes in here and he's got to stand up there. Or Mervyn. Sorry. <laughs> Chris has got to learn something. What has he got to learn? My conscience may condemn me. But who is greater? God is greater than my conscience. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm not saying I'm all right. I'm not saying I'm Mr. Perfect. I'm saying this, even when my conscience condemns me, I accept it. But there is one who is greater than my conscience. Jesus Christ, who died for me. My faith is in a higher thing. And even if my own, as 1 John tells us, if my, own John, if my conscience guides me, that's fine. No problem. I will be led by it, but I will not be judged by it. Amen. In fact, that's how he finishes that sentence. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, I know that's meat, not milk, but it is a critical point for Christian growth. What are we talking about this morning? We're talking about you growing up and facing the typical hindrances that people face, the belief systems that, whether you're aware of it or not, actually keep you out of ministry, keep you from moving forward. And they are manifold. I'm giving you examples this morning so that you can take the mechanics of those examples and seeing how they work, you can then analyze yourself. Do you understand me? You can apply these principles, these analytical techniques, if you like, to your own life, to your own background, your own upbringing, and think, well, where am I at? Guilt and shame are good for me? No. And that young brother, it's a sad thing, you see, because you need to be helped. You need to receive help 
he actually bolted away from me, left. I haven't seen him since. <laughs> I say, you need to learn to deal with your own conscience. That's what you need to learn to do. And then grace will come from you, not condemnation, but the grace of the true gospel. Number five, and lastly, if I become spiritual enough, I will have no pain and no suffering. Who agrees with that one? <laughs> I don't think so. Sorry, folks. But you know a good thing you can do if you want some homework? You can read Luke's gospel, chapter 1 to chapter 8, in one sitting. Just read the whole thing, and you will get a pretty big shock there, I think. But you have to read it in one lump thing, you know? You will see what the Christian life, what God calls us into, and how he promises us suffering. Listen, folks, please listen. In Jesus' name, this one point is enough to set some of you free to minister for the rest of your lives. Listen, suffering doesn't mean you've got it wrong. When you're suffering, it doesn't mean you've gone wrong. In fact, it can mean the exact opposite because you can suffer for being a Christian. You can suffer because you're being a witness. You can suffer, as Scripture says, for doing what is right. We suffer anyway because of sin being in the world and because of sickness. We suffer for a, a lot of reasons. But I have lost count, and you probably have too, I have lost count of the number of Christians who walk away from God because they suffer. Because something happens. This happens, that happens, and human nature, you see, fallen nature, automatically kicks in, ah, there's something wrong. Something wrong with God. God doesn't love me. Ah, you know, blah, blah, blah. A thousand things kick off. Who, where'd you get that from? Where's that mindset coming from? That's a bad belief system. How can you expect to pursue the Christian life with that mindset? Because the first hurdle, the first shot, you'd be gone. But rather, as Christians, we are to not seek suffering, but we are to embrace suffering if it comes our way. Amen. And that is the mindset I should have. And if I don't have it, how can I sacrifice? How can I? I will not be committed to a life of sacrifice. See, when Scripture tells us to bring into the house of God a sacrifice of praise, what does that mean? It means that even when I'm suffering, I still praise Him. Even when I'm in pain, even when the days are tough and hard, I will still thank God. I will still worship Him. And without that, praise is not really a sacrifice, it's a joy. But He says, bring into my house a sacrifice of praise. That's a mindset. That's a mindset. And I believe it's a mindset without which, to be honest, you have little or no hope of remaining on a consistent journey of growth in your Christian life or me in mine. I need to renew my mind. It's not your responsibility, God. You gave me a spirit and a Bible. That's what you've given me, a spirit. The Bible first, my, you give me the, the, the Word of God, and you've given me the Spirit within me. And now I must go to work and renew this mind and pursue the opportunities. So many. Pursue the opportunities that you graciously afford me. Amen? Just bow your heads. I'll invite the worship team. Just stay focused one moment. I invite the worship team to take their places. I want to give you a moment to...
reflect on these things. I hope no one is hurt or offended by any pains from your past. That's not my goal or our goal. We're very happy to pray with anybody on any issue this morning. But I do want you to consider your obstacles and hindrances that you may face. And it needs to be very personal. Very personal. You think of your past and just like we did the score sheet, you mark yourself, but do it critically. Constructive criticism is a good thing. Do it constructively and critically. And God, I pray that you would shine your light in this room and you would reveal to us the hindrances and the blockages. And by your grace, we would begin to work hand in hand with you by the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, victory came. And God, I pray every person here to make a newfound commitment to do our part, as Estella said so adequately on Friday, that we would do our part in growth, our part in taking the nations. Hallelujah. Let's stand, folks.